1: Welcome to the show, and today we're fortunate to have a longtime friend, but in a key position, Ray Bowman. He is the uh, MSU IACME Scale-Up Research Facility. It's with Michigan State University, and I know I probably messed it up, Ray, but you can also re-explain it.
2: Uh, thank you, Ed. Yes, this is a uh, one of the manufacturing USA Ah, uh, institutes that was uh, initiate, initiated under the Obama uh, administration. And I'm fortunate to be uh, leading this facility. It's in Corktown. It's a one-of-a-kind facility uh, in the country.
1: Yeah, I'm going to... Actually, I did get a tour of it too. And it is just fascinating at all the different companies that were in there using it, even when I was visiting and I had never heard of it. But then... I think we'll get a little bit, maybe where I was somewhat involved, maybe with it when I was in the legislature to help get it started. Right? We talked about that a long time ago. But
2: yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, the root scope way back with uh, some things we worked together on uh, when I was embedded in the MEDC and actually as an ORNL employee.
1: Yeah, and and. Um- Why don't you kind of tell people, like because it is a mouthful to explain, but what do you tell people if you go somewhere and they don't know what it is? What do you kind of tell them it does quickly?
2: Well, essentially, it's a collaboration space that is open access, uh, meaning that uh, you don't have to compromise an IP position uh, as if we were a company, for example, to gain access to some unique capabilities. Uh, that help de-risk the commercialization of technologies. In our particular case, uh, this is lightweight uh, composite materials. And uh, we have production scale capabilities. So we're sort of at the latter stage of development, um, whereas earlier scale development might happen within companies, at universities or national lab. But we make full-scale prototypes uh, and validate also run at rate um, processes so so it's uh again it's it's very unique in in the United States,
1: yeah you know, and um your facility is so physically close to the you know all the new uh at the train depot, I don't know the official name for it
2: <laughs> yeah but, yeah, they brand it uh, Michigan central,
1: okay. And but but you even are working a little bit with them too, aren't you?
2: Yes, we've started some conversations because you know, well frankly it'd be foolish not to. We are th- the uh train station basically as the sun would set in the east, would cast its shadow almost on us. So we can see it from from our building. And I think we uh fit nicely in in terms of some of the other partnerships uh as as sort of a complement. Complimentary um, uh, development uh, partner for them. So, we have had some uh, increasingly interesting conversations and, and some visits. And in fact, I took uh, the MSU leadership, uh, or I ranged rather, uh, the MSU leadership, including the Board of Trustees, the President, uh, Vice President of Research, and the Provost, uh, for a tour there right before they came to visit us. So um, I th- yeah,
1: and, and we have we've had Dr. Stanley actually on the or President Stanley on the podcast, and I think that you know that just shows you what a priority it is for the Michigan State University, but also for the state. Obviously, the MEDC is very involved with you too, right?
2: Oh yes, and in, in fact, we would not exist if if not for the MEDC. In fact, I I could argue that our institute, which is actually headquartered in Tennessee, um, the state of Michigan through the MEDC made the first cost share commitment, actually, even prior to the competitive solicitation that was out, because we had been working, including with some of our good colleagues like Eric Schreffler at the MEDC, with informing and advocating for the need for this for the industry. And of course, our industrial partners were involved as well. And so they they set the bar by which all the other states that contributed uh, financial support were measured. So um, first and, and largest is what I would say.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's great to hear. and I I should probably I've mentioned it a couple times here now, but originally, I met you when you were still working for Oak Ridge National Labs. And just could you give people a quick, Sort of definition what these national labs are, because I absolutely fell in love with the concept because I didn't know much about them until I met you and we worked on some projects together when I was in the legislature.
2: Yeah, the the national labs are are perhaps uh, not as well known as they should be. They are really long standing. Uh, commitments by the federal government to advance uh, technology. And they there are different types of national labs, or they have different uh, sort of focus areas, I would say. Um, many of them are what we would call multipurpose laboratories, which means they support many of DOE's missions, of which, of course, there there are quite a few. And Oak Ridge uh, is, is among the largest, if not the largest, of the... Uh, the Office of Science-based multipurpose laboratories, and it's outside of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, it was one of the original sites of the Manhattan Project. In fact, I think the the number is something like 60 cents out of every dollar in the Manhattan Project went through Oak Ridge. It wasn't all spent in Oak Ridge necessarily, but it went through Oak Ridge. And so it's... Uh, Very uh, diverse portfolio from very fundamental science to very applied programs. And the program that I hired into originally um, was just uh, evolving out of a big black program uh, that was called the gas centrifuge program, which, you know, I, I don't really know the amount of money spent on that program over the years, but successfully deployed gas centrifuge separation technology. And that was the basis of a lot of the composites technology that Oak Ridge developed over years, as well as many other technologies that were applicable to transportation. And that's why uh, Oak Ridge had such a leadership position in, in the transportation program at DOE, other technologies such as power electronics, for example.
1: Yeah, and and I know that uh, when I was the legislator, I know some bills were done in conjunction through the MDC at Oak Ridge to help attract companies to come to Michigan. I, I can't remember were you. I forgot if you were actively involved with the battery. Yes. To, yes.
2: Yes. Right. So, so uh, if I'm not mistaken, your fingerprints are on on some of those legislation. <laughs> oh <laughs> but, yeah, quite a few. <laughs> yes, and so um, I was asked because of the the growing uh, relationship between the state of Michigan, primarily through the MEDC, but we also worked with uh, our friends like Kirk Stido at M. Dot and others, but uh, to um, to be an external reviewer on the refundable tax credits for the battery programs. And I can tell you because uh, I, I worked in the vehicle's office at DOE uh, prior to this, and I had some conversation. And that really made a difference uh, to to um, in DOE's thinking about de-risking some of those uh, investments that they made ultimately. Now, of course, everything's not... wasn't successful, but, um, you know, I think there was a very well-structured strategy that was highly leveraged. And, uh, you know, you can't control all the market uh, conditions, but, you know, I I think the state was very strategic about uh, approaching the clean energy space through the Centers of Energy Excellence program that uh, was developed in those days.
1: Yeah, and one of our quarterbacks back then was Governor Granholm, who Absolutely. now has a good position too, right?
2: Yes, and I would say I would say our facility here really has roots back to uh, things that she was directly involved in. So um, it has its roots back to uh, a nonprofit that we started called U.S. Auto Parts. Um, that uh, Governor Grant and uh, Neil decoker, who was the CEO of OESA at the time, um, and uh, Andy Brown, who was the uh, CTO at Delphi at the time. and And I, I almost forgot Bud Albright, who was um, let's see, he was uh, he was the Undersecretary of Department of Energy at that time. We announced that at the auto show in 2008, and it really was the model of these institutes that came uh, later under the Obama administration. Um, it was just at a much smaller funding level because it wasn't at a federal initiative or a presidential initiative. But uh, Governor Granholm was very supportive of that. She uh, she announced it at the auto show, and it was it was a pleasure to be able to work with her and her team uh, especially our old friend, Doug Parks, who was, uh, carrying a lot of the water in those days.
1: Yeah. He worked at the MEDC at that point. And, Correct. um, you know, we should be calling her maybe the secretary yes. of energy, right? <laughs> I don't know which is the higher title, but I'm sure secretary might trump it right now. Uh, but you know, the thing is that, uh you know, at that time, the economy was so challenged, you know, back in 2008, that uh, these were sort of like sort of the paths and the highlights that we were trying to help pull ourselves out of that economy. And that's why I think we were more aggressive, I think, than other states in that area back then.
2: Yeah, but I, I can tell you also, Ed, that because uh, we helped uh, organize um the National Academy of Sciences wanted to have a workshop in Detroit because of the state's leadership in in this area. So, I was uh, fortunate to be uh, involved in the planning of that as well, and that that was something DOE and I, if I'm not mistaken, my <laughs> we're going back a few years now, so my memory by might be a little bit fuzzy, but I I believe TARDIC, I'm almost positive TARDIC had a problem. Yeah, that's
1: right. No, it was. I remember that when the grants were being created by TARDIC. The other thing, too, is that uh, how did you end up at MSU then?
2: Yeah, so so I had already moved to Michigan. So I I actually, as an ORN employee, basically created two opportunities for myself to come to Michigan because – uh, I was working in the vehicle technology area, and you know i my my uh my motto was we we need to think like a company and companies go where their partners and customers are so um and and the reason for that was to make the try to align our capabilities as closely as possible to the industry needs and to your point earlier, Ed, that's a lot of awareness just there. but And it's awareness on both sides. What's going on in the, at the National Labs? And what did the industry really need? And so the first time I was embedded in the automotive composites under U.S. CAR for five years, and that was just a tremendous uh, opportunity for me. And, um, you know, it, it really set the stage of my career, which is kind of, kind of unique uh, within the uh, national lab system. But um, and then I was asked to go to Washington to the DOE headquarters for a year, which was really part of a professional development activity uh, to prepare me to run our transportation program, which had um, three offices at Within DOE and also Department of Transportation. But that's when I started engaging in um, these activities we talked about a little bit earlier and uh, actually um, was recruited as an OR employee to come up and sponsored uh, with actually Governor Granholm at the time's active involvement in coming up to try to create stronger links between southeast Michigan or Michigan overall for that matter and it wasn't only automotive uh, you know we worked in some of these wind activities uh, with the meDC and and biomass as well so um, that's what kind of got me up on the second round and then I was working with the the meDC on on this composites uh, you know, development center and advocating to DOE and others. And uh, finally, a solicitation came out and Oak Ridge uh, led that team, put the team together, and uh, it only made sense to partner with MSU because, at least in my estimation, they have the, excuse me, the strongest and and most complete uh, composites program through Larry Drizal. And so that was a, just a natural partnership. And then, you know, to be a little bit crude, I, I got my points from Oak Ridge. <laughs> I, w- I was really focused on this facility. So it just was a natural retirement. But I still work with them every week. I, I've talked to, uh, in fact, my longtime colleague there uh, even yet
0: today. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity. Featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast.
1: By composites, I just want to make sure people understand it's not just lightning of the vehicles. It's it's other things too, right? Doesn't it? like to like textile strength, kind of basic things like that, or
2: yeah, so I mean, composites is a very generic term, and uh, thank you because i I probably should have defined it in our, <laughs> Sorry, in, our, in, here <laughs> in our case, uh most of what we're looking at is polymer composites, which which means the the matrix that holds a reinforcing fiber together or a reinforcing particle is a polymer. Uh, there could be metal matrix or ceramic matrix and, and even some others. Um, and most of what we do is is associated with lightweighting in automotive. But we have other programs that we're working with that are industry funded uh, that are not uh, vehicles. So I would, uh, they're proprietary projects. Uh, so I would classify them perhaps as ground transportation infrastructure. Um, and some building infrastructure things as well. But generally speaking, it's mostly been uh, for automotive light weighting. But I, I would add uh, one thing there is, you know, historically, when we talked about composites, polymer composites anyways, for structures, we our arguments were greatest opportunity to save weight, uh, corrosion resistance, part consolidation, but they cost more. And, and I think this is a paradigm that is shifting where I think the value of composites when you start folding in things like uh, multifunctionality, uh, you know, industry 4.0, digitalization, embedded sensors, I'm not sure lightweighting is at the top anymore. Um, and so, and particularly the cost issue is going to be very interesting as we look at you know trends in personal ownerships of vehicles because life cycle costs are because of some of those attributes are likely to be less. And so for corporations investing versus a consumer who's looking at how much do they have to pay for the vehicle today versus typically not life cycle costs. Right. I think, I, I think uh, you know with electrification, I think composites are that's an industry that's just going to continue to. To explode.
1: Well, you know, you already answered my next question, but you might want to add something else. But any other trends besides the one you just identified?
2: Uh, well, so I, I kind of wrapped in a couple there. One is private ownership, uh, but the other one is just the advanced uh, tools that we have from a computational standpoint or, you know, Internet of Things, Industry 4.0, machine learning. Um, you know, that's that's going to make help drive down costs overall. Machine learning and, and adaptive processing, all these sorts of things are going to have a big impact. The other ones I would say is sustainability and, you know, uh, recycling of polymers, uh, whether they're, you know, uh, from oceans or even chemically recycling um Mixed waste is a big emphasis right now. All the companies, all the chemical companies are looking at it. Um, So there's a lot of trends that I I think support uh, polymer composites overall.
1: Yeah, no. And I know that, um, you know, we've talked about these in the past, but uh, I think, like you said, being proximity to what Ford's doing in, you know, southwest Detroit it's going to be sort of like a nice overlap and uh, sort of a momentum just for the region. You know, that whole area is transforming right now. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing how fast it's changing that neighborhood.
2: Well, I, 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 if you're going to get in the mobility, if you're not already in mobility and you're going to get in the mobility, there's no better time or place right now than, than, you know to to be involved with uh the transformational um, environment i i think that that i see through michigan central and ford's investments you know they 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 have several partners of course they're partnering with the state and the city of detroit they have partnerships with google uh to my knowledge that's largely around coding and workforce development but you know they have they have uh my understanding anyway is they have some uh, very strategic goals around workforce development uh, and they're partnering with an entity called new lab which uh, has renovated a um, I think it was a naval uh, yard in, in Brooklyn um, into sort of a membership organization, but also incubator space and sort of all all kinds of creative uh, uh developments and i you know uh uh, let me just put this caveat i i and i apologize if i'm mistaking something to my Ford colleagues i'm just still trying to learn the breadth of it but it's exciting i mean it's really exciting
1: yeah it's gonna be a game changer for sure um what you know this is like the hard part of the uh interview's over but uh is there any advice you would give your high school self about career wise, especially with you having in this field?
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd be successful in everything I, I I'd say, but uh, and, and perhaps it's not appropriate to everyone, but for me, um, you know, you have to choose a sustainable balance in your lifestyle and occupation. Right. Um, you know, you uh, you know, I I had the good fortune to do some instructing when I was a graduate student, um, and there were certainly students in there that they were there because they thought it was a good way to make money. And actually, engineering is it's not one of the best ways to make money, um, but um, and and so they were in it for the wrong reasons. And so, but you know, you also have to make a living, right? So. So the other thing is, I would say, you know, not to be a slave to a predetermined uh, predetermined um, career pathway. So, I mean, I look at my career, and I'm doing, I've done different things over periods of time, and I haven't, I haven't ever had a roadmap. I always look to how can I make a difference. What's what's kind of a neat opportunity, and Uh, Just pursue it. And you know what? I've been fortunate with the positions that I've acquired, but I never sought them. They just they just happened by by trying to be creative and looking for opportunities.
1: Yeah, I'm lacking the same roadmap in my career, too. (laughs) It was just, uh, you know, I think the key to those kind of things is. You just got to train yourself ahead of time what you enjoy and what's a career, right? Right. So, uh, anyway, so your very last question is now that you're a transplant up from Tennessee, uh, what do you like best about living in Michigan?
2: Uh, so I would have to give two types of answers. Uh, professionally it's just the history of innovation and the entrepreneurial spirit. And, and I would say, I, I, Again, I've been very fortunate to work with the MEDC with some really good people. Um, I've worked with a lot of folks at the MEDC over the years, and I I viewed that as very strategic and, uh, you know, data-driven and opportunity-driven. And just the breadth and the depth of the companies um, in the clean energy and especially mobility area, you know, those are two, you know, areas that are going to, be transformational and and are imperative to our our lifestyle. Um, and then on a personal level, it's just, I mean, it's pure Michigan. You know, I <laughs> I mean, I love the terrain. I lived in Ohio, um, uh, you know, through my undergraduate. Well, my father was in the Air Force, so I lived all over. But um, I I had no idea how different michigan was from ohio i just love everything including snow
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's all right we, we we we've had ohio guests on so we'll be careful
2: um, well i i, I like ohio too but it's it, you know. <laughs> all right but I'm the key to trap you. The is my favorite place in, in in all the all the country and like i said i've lived in all the corners almost all the corners of the united states uh, so
1: fortunate. Yes. Um, I should uh, mention, too, that uh, you you've actually moved here. Your whole family, your family, you moved them up here, too. So that's really a sign of you appreciating the state. I, yeah. Um, yeah ha- so, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Um, now, once again, I want to thank our guest today, Ray Bowman. He's with uh, Me. And I want to appreciate you with MSU, you know, your involvement and all the good work you continuously do for the state and keep up the good work. And we hope to hear more about your progress as you start building more platforms out there.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure, Ed, and uh, and an honor. I uh, appreciate uh, your friendship and also the opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, hopefully get our word out because, and, and I guess if I have 10 more seconds, I'll just say, uh, you know, we work with all companies. So if, if you heard something that seems intriguing to you and want to learn more, please uh, feel free to reach out to me.
1: Yeah. Just come to which site would you recommend?
2: Oh, yeah. You can connect uh, through me through LinkedIn and I'll give you my direct uh, information. Okay, great.
1: Thanks again, Ray. Thank you, Ed. Join us next week where our guest is going to be Natalie King. She is the founder and chief executive officer of Dunamis Clean Energy Partners and how this company is moving us into a sustainable future.
0: The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.